Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining this episode of the Advisor Tech Show. My name is Tess Lee. I'm Managing Director of Money Info, and I'm really pleased today to be joined by Henry Cobb, who is founder and head of research at Elston Consulting. Hi, Henry. How are you doing? Hi, just very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's lovely to have you on the podcast finally. I think uh, we've been talking about this for a little while. Um, but to kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, your career in investment, your specialism today, and, and sort of how you sort of ended up working in this in this industry. Okay, great. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on uh, for this event. It's very exciting. And um, uh, we're very much aligned. So we're very much about supporting with UK advisors and as they evolve their business. So um, my name is Henry Cobb. I'm founder and head of research at Elston Consulting. Um, I've worked in financial services since I graduated university in 1999. Um, my first job was at Schroders as a, as a buy side analyst um, picking stocks. I then worked for a hedge fund for over 10 years as a stock picker as well. Um, and then I set up Elston in 2012 because of two bits of legislation that were coming through. Uh, one was RDR and the other was auto enrollment. Um, and I looked across kind of um, the thing, similar rules have been brought out in the US a few years before and understanding what kind of investment solutions came to bear as a result of those regulatory changes. So Ellison Consulting was born to basically um, help advisors navigated, navigate regulatory change um, and help providers navigate regulatory change and think very much about how to develop low-cost multi-asset investment solutions. And that's guided pretty much everything that we've done since starting. First of all, in workplace pensions, and then more laterally with MPS and model portfolios. Brilliant. And I was going to ask you what inspired you to start Elston Consulting. And I guess you've answered the question. It was regulation, ultimately, that, that inspired you. But I guess it's a nice message that it, that regulation isn't always a bad thing. It drives innovation at the same time. Absolutely. It was, it was very much not the regulation like, oh, my gosh, how do we get through this? A yeah. Textbook. It was more a question of like, actually, there is a better way. When I, I remember being really struck um, when I used to work in the city, um, you know, taxi drivers pick up from Schroders and say, oh, what do you do? You work in the stock market. Oh, it's a casino, just focus on bricks and mortar, don't trust shares. And and then you went to New York and taxi drivers go, I got some SPY, my 401k, and they got, <laughs> they got all the ETS that they had in their personal investment account. I thought, how can it be whereby you talk property with London cabbies, but shares with New York cabbies? Yeah. And there's equity culture in the States where people will talk about the ETFs they hold in their portfolio at dinner parties. You just don't have that in England. It's all about bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar. And so I thought, you know, it's a it's a great loss, really, because, you know, and this is some kind of American capitalism. But the great thing about investing is, is actually it's it's uh, it should be demo, it should be democratic. Yeah. Because um, and that's the, the famous quote that um, that phrase of uh, those who understand compound interest earn it those who don't pay it yeah and um you know by being a shareholder by being an investor in businesses you know that that you have potential to grow your wealth over the long term and there are some amazing stories you see in the states and i know some of the big firms did some advertising around this about you know particularly soldiers who were living on bases in the army around the world who saved all their pension put into the stock market and ended up retiring early as millionaires because they're just being slowly but steadily investing in broad um investment index tracking portfolios um but accumulated wealth because they're just putting all their every spare bit of savings into the stock market whereas in england every spare bit of savings goes to your house your house your house the garden your house yeah. there's a different culture and so i suppose we were thinking if and, and part of what the government did when it was looking at this whole financial stability of how do we ensure financial stability is about having more people owning more 
shares ultimately because otherwise um you know it's harder to get people to grow otherwise they're more dependent on the state so when they did the pensions review in 2004 pensions commission that was about how do we get people less dependent on the state and that's when that was the, the beginning of the miners report thinking about how do we get automatic enrollment going so that people are actually invested in the stock market and they have that long-term compounding rather than being um, dependent on the state in the end so so everyone says regulation is very haphazard but actually if you follow policy and you look at what the treasury writes about and that the civil service comes up with it's actually very very progressive and very very consistent and so i suppose what we thought was one it's a good thing if more people have investments mm -hmm. as a general and the numbers are tiny there are 30 million working adults in the uk um 10 million have got ices but only only about two million have got stocks and shares ices and how how much has that changed in the over 10 years you've been doing this not a lot presumably because our culture still is very focused around bricks and mortar as you say isn't it it is i think there is there has been a more uptick i think even following covid with the whole kind of day trading mm -hmm. and people but then i always feel people are focusing on the wrong problems like you know literally when you speak to young people about trading or investing it's about it's about picking stocks from social media picking stocks from mm -hmm. a web board or it's all about just trading individual shares what there isn't is that low-cost sensible boring multi-asset investing kind of policy which is the engine of long-term growth without all the drama without all the fees without all the idiosyncratic stock specific risk so so all the projects we involved is was to start with was building low-cost multi-asset default strategies for workplace pension schemes we did that um in conjunction with Alliance Bernstein, and that was a really interesting project. And, and then um, we did a lot of work um, with one of the advisor platforms, Novia, we're rolling out their uh, multi-asset portfolio management business, and that was really yeah. interesting as well. Um, but I think it's about trying to get um, investors, all, all advisor clients are investors, um, comfortable with um, investing, comfortable with risk-based assets, comfortable with investing, but also trying to keep, you know, keep costs down um, and keep it efficient and that's the I think there's been a lot of um, progress on that and there's a lot of focus on it with the whole value for money bit the consumer duty bit there's a lot of focus on that um, whereas previously it was all about funds selling fund names and fund managers reputations we all know examples of big well-known fund managers mm -hmm. whereas I think it's much more about solutions and investment strategy design is, is what gets people there in the long run. And you work with quite a broad range of clients across Elston Consulting, don't you? So tell us a little about, bit about the, the types of um, businesses and clients that you work with and, you know, some detail around the services that, that you offer as part of that. Okay, so, so effectively, um, what, 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 what our motto is, we, we're there to help the UK advisors, but we see there's three different formats that we can help them in. One is portfolios, second is funds, third is indices. So... Um, Portfolios means designing MPS and uh, solutions, which we do through Alston Portfolio Management, uh, which is the uh, DFM uh, entity. Um, funds, we we uh, can help firms structure funds who want to go down a utilization um, approach um, and um, do that. And uh, finally, is indices. We're actually you know, a registered index provider and we um, design indices like we have a range of multi asset indices 20, 40, 60, 80%, 100% equity. They're all on FE and Bloomberg and Morningstar. And so we can also create benchmarks that we think that where, there, where there's some missing, we'll create specialist benchmarks to help um, provide useful comparisons for multi-asset strategies. So those are the three um, formats in which we deliver solutions, portfolios, funds, and indices. In terms of clients, we work with some very um, we, UK advisors, but both large and small. The largest ones are kind of national firms. Yeah. Uh, 
where they might have their own DFM and we're actually providing consultancy service to their DFM, helping them to uh, put, put that together and, and uh, navigate kind of risk analytics around their portfolios. Um, and smaller advisor firms who work with providing a MPS solution through Elston Portfolio Management. So, you know, for us, our main thing is we want to work with um, independent advisor firms who um, really got their own strategic vision and what we see ourselves as is we're not there to um, be an outsourcing partner saying, you know, hand over the assets and we'll manage them over here. See you later. That's, we see that as the outsourcing approach. We call it, we do the opposite. We call it insourcing, whereby mm. the advisor is very much in control. They're in charge of the brand. They're in charge of the strategy. They design, they design the, the kind of a, what they want to have for their target market. And we build that with them to deliver to the end client in their brand and in their, in their DNA, if you like. And we took that idea from workplace pensions where you have trustee boards of a pension scheme. They yeah. set the mandate and the institutional manager then designs strategy to fit the mandate for that target market of the pension scheme inside. And we, we that's where we got this idea from. So when in 2018 in MIFID 2 and all the product governance rules came out, that's when we thought, well, rather than if you think about, you know, every client is going to be slightly different. Every advisor firm is slightly different. Um, why should the whole industry use these off-the-shelf solutions that are like square pogs and round holes? Mm. So build things for each different segment of a firm's client group. And that's the idea around custom portfolios and customer strategies. So we, we engage... Well, that's with... really important for consumer duty, right? And the the outcomes that we have to deliver. So this is why we spend so much time kind of reading what the regulator says, because then you get an idea of what's coming down the roadmap, and then we can help advisors design solutions that are going to fit in with the spirit and the um uh, the letter of evolving regulation so you effectively become part i guess part of their in-house team almost in an outsourced way if you know what i mean they're kind of bringing yeah, we, you in to be that their in-house expertise around that but under their brand and their their proposition yeah so we're we're, we're the number crunchers we're the silent number crunchers in the background um so the internal inside <laughs> exactly so i think that's exactly how i would describe it so so, you know, some of the firms we'll have work with, they might have their own CIO, they might have their own fund research team. And I think the big difference is more of the research firms that are in the market, they very much focus, make a lot of noise about fund research, saying, oh, it's got this many stars or this many crowns or this many ratings. Whereas actually we feel there's less focus than there should be. Mm. And this, what our focus is on is on asset location research, you know, which asset classes and when and why. Yeah. And that's what we do. That's the support that we provide um based on using analytics and very much so to the firms we work with so we are effectively a, yeah an in-source research team to help decision makers make informed decision when it comes to implementation it depends on the regulatory setup some firms might be a dfm in which case they can choose how they want to implement some firms might not have a dfm then we can implement through else portfolio management but the idea is that um this is about setting up a cultural challenge having a someone mark the homework as well for, for yeah. firms that are running models themselves and I think 2022 was a big lesson for a lot of advisors because everyone's been sleepwalking through these set and forget third-party risk models from third-party providers where it's like, oh, here's our application. It's a three, four, five, six, seven. It's this much equities, this much bonds. And the bonds are in there because, well, they're always in there. And whereas we were sort of challenging that very publicly on the internet, on the blog and, and on LinkedIn, saying, look, right now, the bonds are the last thing you want. Bonds are not safe right now. We're going to... A, high interest rate, high inflation regimes. This is December 21, October, November 21. We were saying, get out of bonds. And the firms we're consulting to, we 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 encourage them very strongly to, to do that and um, through our own managed solutions also. So, um, and now beginning of this year, love bonds. Yeah. 
because they've got they've got real yield again. They're doing what they're meant to do: diversification, real income, and and providing security and stability. So I think I think it was a good lesson for you know a lot of firms, a lot of advisor firms found low cost multi asset funds a very easy sell early years because they just went up in a straight line. They did very well. The equities did well. The bonds did well, and it was very simple. Mm. But then suddenly, when you had this inflation shock, the markets got turned upside down, whereby equities were safe and bonds were risky. Mm-hmm. And the most cautious clients for advisor firms got punished for being in so-called cautious portfolios that weren't at all cautious because bonds couldn't hold their value against inflation and the volatility in the gilts market spiked to equity levels. Mm. So having that kind of active thinking around asset allocation and asset allocation design and stress testing models and risk te- risk uh, thinking about risk more holistically that's i think come much more on radar rather than sleepwalking through third party allocation frameworks you're addressing i guess a key challenge for all of those firms aren't you and it is staying ahead of that curve and understanding what's coming down the horizon and having that active you know um insight into what's happening across the market so that they can react effectively for the different segments of clients that they're servicing um and i guess that's that's so, so important to firms, particularly now, because, you know, the markets are constantly evolving. There's a lot of turbulence. You know, they need to be able to navigate that successfully, particularly if they're to hit those those good outcomes for their clients. Absolutely. And I think one's got to differentiate between long term and short term. So there's a lot of debate about whether adjusting portfolios makes any difference. Mm. And um, and some will say, oh, it's, don't worry about it. It's just time in the market. Set and forget. Just just run with it. And there's another body of research saying, well, actually, this actually makes a huge difference. But they're both right. But you've got to look at time frames. So if you're a buy and hold and don't do anything for 30 years in between, then for a certain risk level, then you'll get that return level probably. Mm. In the short run, you might be punched in the face along the way. And yeah. so if you're investing for, say, under 10 years, risk management, volatility management is hugely important because markets can go up or down 20% in one year. And so it's all about time. And there's lots of discussion about risk and return. But there, there always needs to be discussion about time as well. Risk, return, co- correlation and time, those are the four main variables. And in the long run, buy and hold makes sense. But in the, in the medium term, so t- say 10 years or less, risk management is absolutely critical to avoid poor outcomes and bumps along the road like we had in 2022. Mm, exactly. And, and what are the other challenges that you're seeing across the the businesses that you're working with now? What is it that's really keeping them up at night? And you know, is it is it consumer duty? Is it is it ongoing regulation? Is it what is it that you're seeing out there with the businesses that that you're working with that that Alston are, are helping them with? I think well, consumer duty is ones where if firms were already in good shape, it's a, it's an upgrade, not a sea change. So yeah. if you already have your CIP framework in place. You already had your product governance framework in place. You already had an investment committee in place. You already had your communication strategy in place. Like you're already doing all these things, but you maybe hadn't labelled them in that way. Yeah. Then it's literally about a, a kind of a, a papering exercise of documenting it and evidencing it and showing how it's happening. But if firms haven't been doing those things or you know hadn't have caught up with previous regulations, it's a, it's a suddenly it's a massive catch up exercise. So in a way, um, we see it as an upgrade for firms that are already in a good place. Um, and it is a step change for firms that were maybe a bit slower to implement previous guidance. And that, um, that upgrade, is that really about the governance around this and how, I guess it's how they're evidencing that that actionable evidence that they're doing? It's all about evidencing because, you know, all these things are pre- you know, treating customers fairly was always there. 
but this is yeah. now about evidencing it and so it's kind of making it all on steroids and so i think one thing that we see it's interesting and we see this evolving in the dfm market is um assessment of value uh, reports so these have existed for a long time in the funds world in the oics world you've had, all funds have to have an assessment value statement and there's a very clear structure of how they're set up whereas in the mps world there's no standardized framework so what we've been doing is um for dfm providers is um putting together a assessment value framework very much mirroring how it's done in the funds world and um just thinking about how to um, evidence that value statement uh, in a voluntary basis um, before it's prior to being mandated, as it were, um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a more prescriptive format. So that's an interesting area. And I think that raises the broader issue of MPS comparison, because you know, there are these databases where you compare different MPS providers. But what we found is there's a real dearth or absence of, of useful multi-asset benchmarks. So you know, there's certain ones that everyone's familiar with that are based on an asset location framework that may or may not make sense. Um, but we basically felt there's nothing very, very clear cut uh, for evaluating how different multi-asset strategies are faring. And mm. so um, we actually uh, um, rolled out earlier, but we kind of haven't sort of publicly announced it um, to the press. But so, you know, you're... you're oh, uh, a scoop, a scoop breaking news on the Advisor Tech show. <laughs> uh, we launched a range of multi-asset indices um 20 40 60 80 100% equity which may sound familiar to some people um as very clear asset based risk levels and that way it helps create a kind of framework of understanding realized risk return not just forward looking expected risk return that's what all the risk profiling tools but the actual realized risk return for different levels of risk for a given asset location framework and they're actually uh, available in fe um they're called the elston multi asset indices so that might be a useful comparator when you're looking at evaluating multi asset model portfolios Fantastic. You heard it here first, listeners. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, so so talk to me about, obviously, you've got a broad range of clients um, and, and you know, offerings in terms of the portfolios, the funds, the indices that, that, that you're, you're working across. Have you got any sort of success stories or transformational kind of projects that you've, you've worked with that really stand out um, for Elston? Yes, I, I don't think we, I don't know if we're going to mention names, but like a uh... I think one one thing that's been really interesting has been working with a, a national firm. I think it's in the press where they um, they acquired a DFM and they wanted to roll out scale up their MPS solution, and we've yep. been helping do that in the background. So that's been a really interesting project. Um, a, a short Google might find that one. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, and another, um, well, it's public, so I can say it's on the public. That's with Ren Sterling. Um, we did another interesting project with Fossil Novo. They had a range of funds called the Sequel Funds. And um, we helped design some specialist indices for those funds to, to repurpose those funds into being um, a, a sector allocation fund, which, is, which of which there aren't any in the UK. Very popular strategy in the States called sector rotation or sector management. Um, but in the UK, there isn't one. And now that's the first one in the UK. And we designed the index for that. Um, so that's been a really thing, interesting thing where we've helped larger advice firms kind of um, scale up their proposition by insourcing that resource to design um, portfolios or design indices. Uh, to help them with their funds business or their portfolios business so that's those are two public things that are in the public domain so i yeah. think i can about that um we've also had a really interesting project with another national firm helping them design their their retirement proposition and that's been a really interesting exercise they in a, a large that's not public so i can't say who um okay. but they've they in a large number of advisor firms across across the country and they um have a standardized cip but they didn't have a standardized crp so what we've been doing is working with them on designing a retirement solution and retirement proposition 
in terms of how do you risk profile retirement and how cash flow modeling, yeah. standard assumptions, um, what kind of questionnaires, what kind of solutions, um, how does that, uh, what's eligible, what's not eligible. So it's been a really interesting exercise of setting those ground rules whilst we're cross-referencing the retirement income um, market study that hasn't been published yet. So we don't know what it's going to say, but that's another area where obviously we have fed a lot into the uh, consultations with the regulator on retirement outcomes review. So we do, um, are you able to read from that? There's read-throughs from the non-advised market of what the likely read-throughs are for the advised market. So I think that's that's been a really interesting project on the retirement solutions side. Are you seeing more demand for that now? Because we've heard a lot about CIPs over, well, a number of years now, haven't we? It's kind of been where it's all at. Are you seeing now more demand for retirement propositions and help with those retirement propositions? Absolutely. I think there's, first of all, retirement income um, focus means it's a regulatory focus. So everyone's having to, having to exactly. wake up. Second is annuities are um, suddenly back on the scene, having been like, bit like because they're linked to interest rates because yields were low annuity rates were low suddenly yields are recovered therefore annuity rates are recovered mm. um, and i think that's been a really interesting article by that steve webb did on flex or fix and we interviewed about him that that and we got a webinar a cpd webinar on that topic about the idea of flex first fix later the idea of getting an annuity slightly later in life when um you know you can have more potential to grow the portfolio but you can get the insurance policy as you get older and by getting yeah. it later you get a beta rate as well so I think it's a more, it's kind of what I call three-dimensional retirement solutions, where you're not just thinking about, here's my portfolio, or here's my portfolio with an annuity underpin. It's like thinking, here's my liquidity bucket, my sort of, um, cash kind of bucket, here's my portfolio engine to beat inflation, and here's my annuity hedge to mit out, mitigate longevity risk. And I think so retirement solutions design is a really interesting area, and no one's nailed it as yet. Um, and it's become so much more complex, hasn't it, over, you know, because people are living longer, they're working longer, you know, th there's so much more to it than there was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It's it's a real, it's it's kind of a growth area, isn't it, in, in financial advice to get that right. But as you say, has anybody really got it right just yet? Not yet. And I think there's been, there's been two parallel evolutions. Um, there's a lot of evolved work on this in the workplace pensions market. So you'll see a lot of the trustees and um, of workplace pension schemes, like the big um, you know, not, they're not super trusts yet, but the, the big autonomous master trusts mm -hmm. are doing a lot of work on um, default decumulation pathways within their um, glide path of their investment strategy for their trustee um, members. Um, and I think we're going to see parallel strategies evolving in the retail world mm. um, by advisors, um, but there's none as yet that have really sort of sprung to market. So we've done a we did a paper around um, annuity blending. With portfolios as a, as a concept um but it's not it, there's nothing yet out there that wraps it up and makes it very very straightforward um but our key message there is that it pays to wait with annuities you know annuitizing yeah. five is still very young you're still very you're 30 years to live whatever so by, by waiting a bit you just um you you get a better rate but you also have more potential for growth in the meantime to try and beat inflation so anyone who hasn't seen steve webb's paper from the lcp he's a part which is the pensions consultancy on flex now fix later i strongly recommend a read fantastic um so we're, we're sort of heading towards the, the end the end of our time today so give us, give us an idea that, i know doesn't it go quick when you're enjoying yourself having a natter should have got a cup of tea um but what's on the horizon for elston consulting are there any kind of other exciting projects or initiatives that that you want to share with the with the audience today what's what's next for you guys I think I think we see ourselves as just being part of the infrastructure around advice firms that we work with, and um, you know, mentioned some of the big ones, but we work with firms 
the, the smallest firm we work with is about 40 million of assets under advice. Right. So we, we're there to work with firms of any size. And I think what's really interesting is that with the right technology, and you guys come up a lot in this because your app is very compelling. We have a lot of common uh, clients, don't we, in terms of the firms that we're working with, actually. Yeah, and secure messaging is super critical. So I think I think I think firms that want to put together a very very comprehensive proposition don't necessarily re need to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, you, you could be a, a um, an advice firm. You don't need to build your own app. You can speak to Money Info. You don't necessarily need to entire recruit an entire multi asset investment team. You can work with a firm like us. I think the other big focus, I think there's going to be a real focus area is content. I think I think you know, um, advisors got to communicate more with their clients. Well, not just want to, but but should enjoy doing so. Um, and it's a big differentiator. And I think I think that's a big area of focus for us is is content and communications. Um, because um, you know, it, I think we we're moving away from a world of a once a year annual review, and it may still be a formal annual review in terms of the financial advice, but having a continuous touch point through the year, be it a video, be it an email, be it a, yeah. a, a I think people are expecting it's not just like I'm paying you 1% for you to have a cup of tea with me once a year and talk about the portfolio. It's about, yes, well, that's the formal advice and updated financial plan. For the rest of the year, this is what we're doing in the background and through the app, through email, through communication, through our website and that ongoing service proposition so that it's not just a, a once a year thing. It's a whole of life all the time relationship. And again, that's important under consumer duty for consumer understanding, consumer support, price and value. You know, it's ticking all of those boxes if you can deliver that valuable content out to firms, which I know you're you're helping with some of the mutual clients that we're working with because they can deliver that content through their portal. Yeah. And so we've seen one of the firms we work with who's using your portal. Well, I've seen two examples. There's one firm I came across um, that, that we're not actually working with who have your portal and they don't really use it very well or at all. And it's a bit of a waste of opportunity. You log in, there's nothing there. It's like, well, that's a bit of a waste. And another firm, we probably both think of the same one, who use your portal incredibly effectively. Yeah. It became this content-rich channel for communication, video, content, updates. And it actually, and I don't know, you know, it actually is looks more impressive than some of the sort of big private banking apps that I see in the private banking market. Yeah. And yet as an advice firm that isn't as large as a big private bank. So and that's when you realize that deployed well, investing in a little bit of brand and content and that kind of thing, all the things that you would support in technology, we support in terms of content-wise, um, is transformational. Yes. And, and uh, those firms, uh, despite being maybe a regional firm, can actually compete with the the national behemoths, the big um, stockbroking firms, the big DFMs, by just being agile and adaptive. And I think that's the key message. Brilliant. What a way to end. Fabulous. I, I couldn't agree more. It's, and, it, and it's, you know, those firms that that do put the time and, and a bit of effort into it are going to be the ones that that really get the return on the investment in technology annual services, aren't they? Because that's what it's all about, bringing those two together for the for the better outcome for the client. I think so. And I think advisors need to be more confident. And so a lot of the time when we speak to advisors, we say, bear in mind, you know, you think that XYZ is a big brand, let's say a big fund house or a big DFM. But your clients have never heard of them. No, no. Your clients have only heard of you. Yes. And it's all the brand that they believe in. So where's your brand in all of this stuff? Stop talking about the these big stockbrokers or these big DFMs or these big fun houses. Stop advertising your competitors because all of them are virtually integrating now. And start talking about yourself. Yeah. Because you're the brand that your clients trust. And I remember when I was at, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say the story. I remember when I was at Schroeder's many years ago in the uh, late in, uh, in 1999, 
they did a, a, a vox pop survey on the streets asking people on the street what they thought of the Schroeder's brand and they thought people come back saying it's you know, British loyalty dependence trust people came back saying is that kitchens <laughs> brilliant but you're true who would have heard of that people don't they don't know that they'll know Scottish widows because they see the lady in the hood on the telly but they're not going to necessarily know those 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 brands that we think are just you know everybody understands yeah so in the industry we we we, we see those brands but think about the client the client the client's putting faith in the advisor brand so I think yeah really get behind their own brand and yeah. go for it yeah, and we and we absolutely agree. Hence the whole branded, hence the branded apps, because it is the advisor brand that the client trusts, you know. And what they're ultimately buying is not a portfolio and a set of funds. They're buying peace of mind, right, for their for their future, for whatever their goals happen to be. And I think that's so so important. You're right, and confidence is a is a is a, is a big thing. We need to get advisors confident to to roll this stuff out and to to start, you know, communicating their their benefits to their clients fantastic so uh just to finish um if people want to get in touch and find out more about uh elston consulting and the services you offer do you want to give a shout out for your website address or any other any other details in terms of how they can get in touch to find out more henry probably two, two best ways elstonsolutions.co.uk because we like solving problems so that's elstonsolutions.co.uk and there is a contact us area on that website that's Brilliant. one way and the other way is to just direct message me on linkedin um, I'm always on LinkedIn um, and uh, posting stuff. So if you ping me a message, that's another great way to just um, get together. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a delight to, to talk to you and really insightful listening um, to 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 learn about more about what else can do and how you're helping um, firms across the country um, with their investment propositions. So thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you, Tess. You're thank welcome. You for listening in. Yes, thanks, everybody. And uh, don't forget to tune in for the next episode of the Advisor Tech Show. Thanks very much.